Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, as one of your pastors, one of the things I always try to do is offer you guys something very practical that you can take into your lives as believers in Jesus Christ. I got something really practical this week. It's for Thursday when you get to your Thanksgiving table. If yours is like the, the meals I'm usually at, there, there's somebody at the table that will say, hey, before we eat, I want you all to share what you're thankful for. Yeah. And in your mind, you're thinking, hey, I'm a thankful person, but I don't want to be predictable. I don't want to share the same thing that I said last year. So you want to go in with some, some things you're thankful for. And you also don't want to have to think about what that is too long because you're hungry, right? So <laughs> as part of this message today, I'm going to give you three things that, that we can be thankful for that are attached directly to Jesus' ministry here when he came as the, the God-man. Now, a little bit of review for context. You remember we're in Matthew chapter 4. And last week we talked about verses 1 through 11, where Jesus the King overcame the, the enemy's temptations, right? As the last Adam, our representative, he succeeded where the first Adam failed. And you remember the end of that. It was, it was powerful, it was climactic. Matthew 4:10. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, context, whenever you're in the Bible, is very important. What comes before a passage and what comes after. And as I, I was looking at verses 12 through 25 in that same chapter this week, I was thinking it would be very easy to make the mistake of just totally separating them from last week. But I don't want to do that because I see some threads that tie these verses to last week. Number, number one, I think about that showdown between Jesus the King, the God-man, and Satan. And I think about how very frustrating that must have been for Satan. Right. Not only did Jesus not cave into his temptations, but what happened after it was all over? And, and it's not likely that Satan knew it that day because he left, but he knows it now because it's in God's word. What's it tell us? It says angels minister to Jesus. Now you think about how Satan's fall all began. If you know your Old Testament, right? He wanted to be like the most high. And he got thrown out of heaven. And, and when he got thrown out, he wanted angels to follow him. But what happened? Only one-third of them went. There were two-thirds that remained faithful to the true God. And here, what do we see? We see angels ministering to the true God. These are, these are followers that Satan wanted, ministering to the one who had just defeated him in the desert. But beyond that, as we look at verses 12 through 25, which honestly, on the surface, if you read it, it could seem just like kind of a, a random list of things that Jesus did, and, and he did these things in a circle in Galilee. 
But it's so much more than that because what I see, when we see his preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God, when we see him calling disciples to follow him, when we see him healing diseases and casting out demons, what I see here is that Jesus, the king, is undoing Satan's work. You remember, Satan tempted Adam and Eve. They, they gave in. And as a result, God cursed the world as promised. And you can bet Satan rejoiced in that curse. Because anything done to creatures created in God's image, the God he hates so much makes him smile. Jesus came to undo the work of the enemy. I think about that and I think about how God had promised that way back in that context. After God announced the curse in Genesis 3, what did he say? He said, hey, one of Eve's descendants is going to crush your head. I think about Jesus leading this victorious charge through this fallen world. And I think about something we talked about Wednesday night at our prayer meeting. We've been going through some of the names of God and, and what they mean. Does anybody in this room know what the name Yahweh Nisi means? The Lord is my banner. It comes from that moment in Exodus where the, the people have left Egypt and their first battle with someone other than Egypt after that was with the Amalekites and they're, they're fighting. And as they're fighting, Moses lifts his staff to God to, to show his dependence. We need your power. But he was getting weary and two came beside him and helped him lift that staff. And as that staff was lifted to God, the Israelites overcame their enemies. And at the end of that, Moses built an altar and he called it Yahweh Nisi, the, the Lord is my banner. I said, what, what does that mean? Well, armies carry banners that represent their nation that, that they fight on behalf of, right? And the army rallies together underneath that banner, underneath that cause. I see Jesus here holding his own banner. He is our banner. He is the Lord is our salvation and he's leading a victorious charge undoing Satan's work. We also see one other thing here. As we go through the book of Matthew, there's nothing random about it. You may feel like this is just a random list of events and not even that detailed. That's kind of how I felt the first time I read it, knowing that wasn't the case, but just, just looking at it. But Matthew is led by the Spirit of God, right? And one thing you'll see Matthew do over and over throughout this book is he will go back and forth between the deeds and actions of Jesus and the words of Jesus. And that's exactly what we have here. Because what are we going to see beginning next week in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7? The Sermon on the Mount. The king is, it, some have called it the, the manifesto of the king. He's going to talk about how citizens in his kingdom should live. What it should look like. But first, Matthew's going to tell us why we should listen to this guy. He's going to show us his deeds and his actions that make us say, okay, I want to hear what this guy has to say. As we go through these verses, I'll share the three things to be thankful for. 
Number one, I am thankful, so thankful, that Jesus brings light in the darkness. You know, it's a dark world. Some of you feel that darkness this morning as, as you process through things that are going on in your life, things that have happened this week. I'm thankful Jesus brings light in the darkness. I see this starting in verse 12. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Is it because he's afraid? No, it's not his time to be arrested yet. There's, there's more to be done. So he goes into that more rural region of, of Galilee. So he leaves Nazareth, the, the town where he grew up. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. What sea is this? Sea of Galilee. Better called a lake. It was a small body of water. Lots of fishing there. How many of you love to fish? You would love the Sea of Galilee. There were fishing towns all around this lake. One of them was called Bethsaida. You know what that means from the Hebrew? You could translate it fish town or house of fish. Bethsaida, house of fish, just like Bethlehem is house of bread. This was a, a fishing lake, and, and he goes to Capernaum. We know a couple things about Capernaum. Jesus would, would set up his headquarters here. This is going to be his home base going forward till near the end of his ministry. You know who lived in Capernaum? Peter. Yeah, Peter. And uh, you'll remember Jesus would later go in there and heal his mother-in-law. Some believe it was Peter's house where the, the guys with the paralytic dug through the roof. And he, we see Jesus' reaction. I always wonder, what did old Peter think about that? Guys, I... I just had the roof done. What? <laughs> Many believe that was Peter's house. This, this is the town by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, Zebulun and Naphtali were some of the tribes of Israel. They were not the, the ones that get all the buzz and notice. They're kind of rural, kind of, kind of small, kind of out of the way. This is, this is not down there Judea and Jerusalem, right? But there's more. There's more. This was on purpose. It wasn't just because John got arrested. Verse 14, it was so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And this goes back to Isaiah chapter 9. Centuries earlier, the prophet had said, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, Beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, and we'll come back to that phrase in a minute, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. I want to go back to that phrase, Galilee of the Gentiles. This, this light, that's where it came, the, the Son of God. The light, that's where He came. So you think about this. It's not just Jerusalem where, where the temple was and many of the religious leaders, but Galilee, okay? And it's not just Jews in Galilee. Remember it was called Galilee of the Gentiles? You know why it was called that? Jerusalem was kind of tucked away in a nook 
or cranny in Israel where you could pretty much keep it all Jewish at the time. Not so with Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee. There were crossroads that went all across the Roman Empire through there. So there were many, not only Jews, but Gentiles there as well. So as we think about his light in the darkness, it, it brings us great joy that it wasn't only for Jews, it was for Gentiles as well. But I want to talk about darkness for a moment. What is it when we talk about darkness as a metaphor for the world? How, how could we break that down? What kinds of darkness do we see? And I'm thankful to author William Hendrickson because he broke it down. He said there's at least three categories of darkness that, that Jesus came to bring light to. And tell me if you've seen or experienced these forms of darkness this week. The first one is the darkness of delusion. As you look around the world, are, are you like me where you look around and you're like, wow, that thing we used to call common sense is not so common anymore? You, you look at movements and thought patterns and, and philosophies and sometimes you scratch your head and, and you say, how could people really believe that? And then if we're honest, sometimes we step back after a month or two or a couple of years and we say, whoa, I myself got sucked into that delusion. We got to be careful, right? Delusion, falsehood is one form of darkness. Jesus came to bring truth. That's one way he brought light. He didn't just come to bring truth. He is the truth. I am the way, the truth. And the life. So if you want clarity in your thinking, turn to Jesus. There's also depravity. What does that word point to? It points to the sinfulness of humankind. And, and I'm not talking about just looking at other people. I like what one, one Christian author said. There was a newspaper that wanted to get a quote from him. And I think it was G. Campbell Morgan, don't quote me on that, but they, they reached out to him. They said, what is the biggest problem in the world today? You know what his answer was? I am. Whoa. He, he was willing to say, hey, I, I'm as much a part of the problem as the next guy. De depravity is darkness. Jesus came to bring the light of, of holiness. The the clarity of what it means to live a holy life and the power to do so, to, to give victory over the sin that enslaves us. You ever felt the enslavement of sin? He came that we might break those shackles. The third form Hendrickson mentioned was despondency. You could call that discouragement. How many of you feel that darkness this morning or have felt it this week? Just that discouragement. He is a discourager. I saw this on full display this week as I explored a news article. I, I researched it because of something someone at our prayer meeting had said Wednesday night. They said that suicide rates are increasing. Listen to this, among third, fourth, and fifth graders. Oh, 
that caught my ear. It broke my heart. I, I got online and researched it, and, and sure enough, I, I found an NBC article from April 8th, 2021. The, the headline was, Suicidal Thoughts Are Increasing in Young Kids. I'll read you just the first three paragraphs. Just, just take this in for a moment. It says, The youngsters come in with tears in their eyes or their fists clenched in anger. Sometimes they show no emotion at all. I want to kill myself. The kids, some as young as eight, announce inside elementary school counselor Olivia Carter's office. When Carter started working at Jefferson Elementary in Missouri in 2016, she used their suicide protocol once or twice between 2016 and 2021. Now she says about one student a month one student a month at her pre-K through fifth grade school tells her they want to die. The number of children ages 6 to 12 who visited children's hospitals for suicidal thoughts or self-harm has more than doubled since 2016. 5,485 emergency room or inpatient visits up from 2,555 in 2016 among 6 to 12-year-olds. It says full data isn't yet available for 2020 at that time, but in the first three quarters of 2020, there were 3,503 such visits. 6 to 12. That discouragement, and I, I hear that, and one of my first responses was anger. Anger because I know there's a spiritual war behind that. I know who our enemy ultimately is. I know what Jesus told us about Satan in John 8, 44, that he is a murderer from the beginning. So anger is one of my responses. But a desire to pray, which we did for, for all ages across our nation, because we know it's not limited to an age group. You see that discouragement. And third, uh, if you ever have wondered why, believer, we're still here on this fallen planet, you should wonder no more. Jesus came to bring hope to restore meaning and purpose to life. There are people out there of all ages who need to hear of the Savior. You and I know that is why we're here. I think about those three forms of darkness and how Isaiah 9 said that Jesus came to be a light in that darkness. Many of you may know that just a few verses down, it's part of that same prophecy thread in Isaiah chapter 9. We learn in verse 6, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Jesus is the ultimate counselor, those facing discouragement needs. Mighty God. He's the one who is mighty on their behalf, everlasting father, the one who will be there for them, whether they have that at home or not. The prince of peace in a world where peace is so elusive. 
I'm thankful Jesus came to bring light in the darkness. If you find yourself discouraged this morning, come to him. Turn to him. Second, I'm thankful, so thankful that Jesus brings restored purpose and relationships for mankind. Those are two things that are under assault. Purpose and relationships. You see it come in multiple forms. Think about purpose. For how many decades have we been telling children in school that they are the product of random chance? When you follow that through, it leads you to a place where you realize if I'm just a product of random chance, I have no, no real purpose. The deeper that sinks in, the ramifications play out. Purpose is under assault. Relationships in this world are under assault. One way to beware of that they're under assault is screens. I'm not an anti-screen guy. I use an iPad. I, I use a television. I use a computer. But we need to be careful because these can take over our lives and separate us from face-to-face -face relationships. I was listening to even the, the, the doctors medically know that there are needs your body has chemicals that are released from face-to-face -face relationships and touch that do not arise from interacting through a screen. Beware, do not let these separate you from meaningful relationships with other people. Another way we, we saw relationships under assault was, was during the, the COVID lockdowns. And we can talk about human motivation for that. Today I want to focus on Satan's desire in that moment of history. You can be sure. He knows as people created in the image of God, designed for a relationship with him and with each other, that the more he can sever those, the more he has us in that place of darkness. Listen, Jesus came to restore purpose and relationship for mankind. Where do we see this? Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word preach had a unique meaning in Greek. It was what a herald for a king did. The king had news to announce. The herald would go out, hear ye, hear ye. And the people in the city town would gather around because they wanted to hear what the king had to say. That's what John the Baptist, the messenger was. That's what Jesus is doing here as the king himself. He's announcing news of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We talked a couple weeks ago about repentance. It, it may include tears. It, it may include emotions. But it's so much more biblically. It's this change of, of heart and mind that, that leads to a, a change of life, a, a turning around. And what I want to focus on today is the hope of repentance. Because it's a turning away from everything that, that brings death and emptiness and aimlessness and isolation 
to the only Savior who brings all those things meaning in abundance. Okay? Verse 18, we, we see him uh, in, establish his call with a couple guys at work. I, I want you to imagine this. This is a day at work for these guys. Verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. I love how he approaches them on a work day and speaks to them in terms they understand. I, I, I like to imagine that it, maybe if you work at UPS, Jesus sees you out in the back of your truck. If this was you that day, he hops in and says, hey, let's go make packages of human lives for my father. Come with me. Or if you're a secretary that, that sends letters out all day, imagine him stopping by and say, hey, come work with me to make letters on human hearts. Or if you're a mom changing the seventh diaper on the living room floor that day, Jesus comes along and says, hey, come with me and let's, let's make children of my father together. However he would say it to you, the, the essence is this. Number one, follow me. So it all comes back to relationship with him. That, that's the core of it. And I will make you fishers of men. He doesn't say, follow me and you try your darndest to be a fisher of men. He says, I'll make you a fisher of men. Now think about who's speaking here. This is the creator, right? What does the word tell us? That without him, nothing was made that has been made, okay? Go back to the original creation, Genesis 1, 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You talk about purpose. If I really believe I'm made in the image of God, number one, and then, then he gave them a mission, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Okay, now think about this. This was, was this before the fall or after the fall? Before the fall, right? There was no sin in the world. So if they had done this and, and they had obeyed rather than disobeyed, for them to multiply was to do what? Was to make additional followers of God, right? Now look at what this same creator is doing at the outset of a new creation as he meets these fishermen. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You're going to work with me and we're going to multiply followers of my father again back to the original creation Genesis 3 verse 8 Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day now many believe and I'm one of them that this was a regular occurrence before the fall God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve just fellowshipping 
with him there in perfect relationship. No separation, no shame. Can you imagine the wonders of that? But something was different this day in Genesis chapter 3. It says, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Those are some of the saddest words in all of Scripture. For the first time, they hid themselves from the Father. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God knows all, right? Did he, did, is he really playing hide and seek and he doesn't know where they're at? No, this is an invitation to communicate, to relationship. But what did the man say? That I heard the sound of you, God, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Gone was that perfect fellowship with the Father. Why? Because they had sinned. They had, they had built a wall. Sin brought isolation between them and God. And you know how it spread between them as they began to blame. Right? Now think about that. That walking with God in the garden. Verse 18 says, This moment with these fishermen happened while Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. Down to verse 20. What they do? Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now if you've ever wondered, like, whoa, did they just meet him that day and boom, they're gone? This is why all four Gospels are important. At least some of these guys, we learned from the Gospel of John, had met Jesus and begun conversation with him through the ministry of John the Baptist as he pointed them to him. Okay? Whatever the case, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now think about the garden and think about if, as they leave their nets behind and follow Jesus, what are these men doing? They're walking with God. They're walking with the creator. And just as Aaron was touching on earlier, we are invited to the same. Talk about restored purpose to, to follow God and, and cooperate as he makes us into multipliers of his followers along with him. Wow. There is no greater purpose. Now, sometimes when we follow the lives of the apostles, we know this leads to great pain in this world. Jesus warned them, this world hates me. This world will hate you. Many of them gave their very lives. Not having our purpose restored is painful as Jesus makes us into the image of himself. C.S. Lewis painted this in a picturesque way. See if you connect with this like I did. You think about God's work in restoring our purpose in our lives. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. 
You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that, that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. And I think about that. Sometimes being restored to his purpose for our lives is painful, but we have a choice to make sometimes in our lives. Would I rather have purposeful pain or empty ease? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the pain of emptiness, though our outward circumstances are easy, is greater than the meaningful pain of being restored to his purpose for our lives. I'd rather go with the the purposeful pain. And I think about these, these men who left everything to follow him. I think of his call to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think of a text I got this week. Maybe you connect with the words of this friend of mine. He's a believer. For a season he walked away from fellowship with the Lord and his people. And more recently, he reached back out to me with these words. See if these connect. He said, I get tired of getting off track. He said, I miss the real me who loves the Lord and wants to be better for God. He said, God showed me something today. He showed me walking through life and every sin that I spill and every dark drop of lust, greed, selfishness, and jealousy, and hatred, and all my dark ugliness, he mops it up with his precious blood. I don't deserve any more chances, but God has been still showing me that he will never get tired of me. think about that text and I just want to say this these words of hope that no matter who you are this morning or where you've been no matter what you've done there is hope for a fresh start with the king there's hope for restored relationships with him and his people and there's hope for a restored purpose final one I'm so thankful that the pain of this world is not all there is. I often think about my desperation level, where it would be if I believed this fallen world was all there was. I'm thankful the pain of this world is not all there is. Go with me into verse 23, and I'll unpack this. As he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Many of you know what these synagogues were. Any, any town or city where there were a decent amount of Jews, they'd, they'd come together weekly for, for prayer, reading of the Old Testament, and then there was a third portion of teaching. And they didn't always have a scheduled 
pastor. They, what they would do was, hey, anyone who, who's here and qualified to speak on what we just read, come, come forward and share. And Jesus often took advantage of that to share the good news of the kingdom present in himself. But he didn't just teach. Look at what it goes on to say. Healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. This is going outside of Israel. And, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. Can you just, with your imagination, imagine those crowds coming some from great distance and some with great difficulty? Can you feel the desperation of the years of pain or possession? And some of you may be saying, yeah, I live with pain every day. I relate to this crowd and, and we see something precious about God through this. Jesus shows us not only himself, he came to reveal the Father, right? We see the great love of God for us in our suffering, in our pain, right? We, we see his complete power and sovereignty over those things, things which we often have little to no control over. We see his ability to heal, whether he chooses in this life or the life to come. But I believe with many that we see more here. We see more. What we see, and, and I'd encourage you to read the Gospels this way. Every time you see Jesus work a miracle, I want you to think of the coming eternal kingdom when he sits physically on a throne. First on this planet for a thousand years in the period we look forward to as the millennium, and then in eternity, because I believe in each miracle we see a glimpse of what the whole kingdom will look like when he reigns physically. Every time you see him raise a person from the dead, it points us to the reality that there is no death in his eternal kingdom. When he heals a blind man, it points us to the reality that there is no blindness. When he heals a paralytic, it points us to the fact that there will be no paralysis. There will be no more tears. Reminds us that no matter how deep our groaning, glory is on the way. Glory's on the way. The pain of this world is not all there is. Think of this wild statement from the Apostle Paul. And this is a man who knew suffering. He said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Just ponder that for a minute because you look at some of the suffering you've gone through or people you know have gone through or are going through and you say, man, this is really heavy. So if Paul says that's not even worth comparing to the glory that is to come, 
doesn't it make you take the next logical step and say, what kind of glory is that going to be? And I'm telling you, back to Isaiah 9, where we've gone a couple times, we see a hint of this coming kingdom. In one more verse, and I'm going to have to scroll to find it if, if you'll hang with me just one moment. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, Jesus' miracles in his first coming, they hint at the restored world still to come. That's something worth holding on to. As we close and, and we think about the, the joy of this Savior and his banner marching forth victoriously through this fallen world, undoing Satan's work, I have a picture in my mind. Tomorrow is a special day. I'm driving up to Kingman, to the prison up there, to, to pick up a friend of ours and a friend of the church who spent a couple of years behind bars for DUIs. And tomorrow's the day he gets out. I cannot wait to see the smile on his face as he, he steps outside for the first time in a couple years. I, I think of the joy he's going to have to be able to go out whenever he wants to and enjoy a, a sunrise or a sunset or to have lunch with a friend again. And I know that even during these two years he's been in there, one thing that he's been holding on to was that life behind bars is not all there is. I know that because every time he would write a letter, in, in big letters on the outside of the envelope, it would say, Christ is the answer. He's been clinging to that. T tomorrow's a day of freedom for our friend. And I think about that, and I think about us here today. None of us are in a physical prison but there are many kinds of prisons in this life. Maybe you find yourself struggling behind the bars of one of these today, a prison of brokenness. This is the Savior who brings healing. A prison of aimlessness. This is a Savior who brings restored purpose. A prison of you ever look up and just say, Lord, I feel hollow. I, I feel empty. He's a Savior who brings fullness. Maybe it's a prison of isolation. You feel separated from him, separated from others and his family. He comes to bring restored relationships. Will you come to him for freedom? Lord, I thank you for this passage. I confess once more, I've said it already. At first, it just seemed like this random list of happenings that Jesus did. But it's so much more. It's our victorious King, Yahweh Nisi, marching forth victoriously, giving us hope. Lord, I thank you 
that he came to bring light in the darkness. And I pray for anyone among our friends here today that's feeling the weight of the darkness. May your light break through in just the way they need. Maybe they need truth. Maybe they need encouragement. Maybe they need direction. Maybe they need victory over sin. Please bring it, Lord. I pray for any in this room that came in just feeling like they're just kind of wandering through this world and wondering if they have any purpose at all, feeling alone. As they turn to Jesus this morning, may, may they sense your restored purpose rising up in them. May they sense restored relationship with your people, help those relationships to grow. May, may they find the great joy of linking arms with you, following you. So much more than learning facts or memorizing things is walking with God and allowing you to make us into the fishers of men you want us to be. What a, what a privilege, what a purpose. If anyone's feeling hollow, help them to, to look there. Lord, I thank you for this precious precious passage and the hope that it brings us. The light of the world came not only to the Jews, not only to Jerusalem, but to Zebulun, to Naphtali, to Galilee of the Gentiles. So we prepare to take our offering this morning I pray that it would be from grateful hearts for that light and the purpose he brings. In Jesus' name, amen.